Continuing our series, God Loves Messy Churches Too. That's what we're calling this, if you did not know, 1 Corinthians. That is a uh, good thing, isn't it? God loves messy churches because churches are filled with messy people like you and me, and it's great to know God still loves us and loves churches filled with people like us. We're in chapter 1 still. Beginning in verse 18, we'll read through verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. The sermon tonight is entitled, Why Should I Care About Preaching? And you need to care just, just enough to find out. So, let's give our attention to God's word. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The grass withers, the flower fades. This is God's word. It endures forever. I want to say that what you think about preaching might be more important than you realize. Paul says in these verses uh, that your evaluation of what's taking place right now, at this moment in the worship service, says something about your eternal destiny. Look again at verse 18. Verse 18 comes in strong like that. It says we're, we're dealing with eternity. It says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's look carefully at what Paul's saying there in that verse. He's talking about the word of the cross. This is a phrase that, that simply means preaching, and that is how the King James Version helpfully uh, translates it. The Greek for word, the word of the cross, it's that familiar word, logos. You know that. You've heard that before, like from John chapter 1. The Logos of the cross, so that's how the ESV has the word of the cross. NIV has the message of the cross, but the King James Version, I think preferred in this instance, says the preaching of the cross. Uh, the, the word of the cross, I think, though that phrase reminds us of what real preaching is meant to be. It's meant to be words about the cross. Real preaching is to be centered on Christ and him crucified. And that's why Paul can call preaching here a crossword. 
Not the kind that you find in the newspaper, but the kind you get in a pulpit. A cross word, a cross message, a message that is centered exclusively on the work of Christ. True preaching should be nothing less than a word, a speech about the cross of Christ. But that word, that message, is received um, in two different ways by two different groups of people. The first group of people that Paul mentions are those who are perishing. Now, that means more than those who are dying, or else that, that would just be referring to everybody. We are all dying. We're all perishing in that sense. We're all wasting away. That's not what he's talking about here. The word here is the same word that is used uh, in the very next verse. For it is written, I will destroy. Same word as perish. The verse before that. Those who are about to be destroyed. Those who are doomed for destruction. Paul has kind of end times things in mind here. He's talking about judgment. He's talking about ultimate, eternal destruction. It's a phrase, it's a way of speaking that Paul uses a lot when he's talking about final judgment. Let me read you one example. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 through 10. And he's talking about end times events. And he says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So... Those who are not saved are those who are perishing in this eternal sense. Those who refuse to be saved are those who are perishing. And Paul tells us, for that group, this is so important to hear, that group that's doomed for destruction, uh, those who are ending up in eternal torments, those who are perishing, for them, preaching will seem like a waste of time. Preaching will seem pointless. Preaching will be ridiculous, in fact. Folly is the word that's used. It's nonsense. What do you think of preaching? That's a really important question. On the other hand, there are those who are being saved. They think of preaching in a different way. Paul says to them, preaching is the power of God. Now, we want to say objectively, uh, preaching is the power of God. It's not that those who are being saved feel like it's God's power. Rather, it's that those who are being saved understand preaching for what it really is. They, re- they, they recognize, they, they, they believe that preaching is the power of God. They rejoice in the fact that God saves people through preaching. They believe in this. It's not a bore to them in the slightest. It's the moment they witness resurrections take place in their hearts and in the hearts of others. They love preaching. Because they get what it's really all about. So, what do you think of preaching? Do you think it's boring and a waste of time? Do you think it's pointless? Is the sermon your chance to, you know, check out and um, do some daydreaming? You know, kind of plan for some projects that you got during the week. You know, you really can't do that during other parts of the service because they're all this standing and sitting and turning here and reading this and singing that. But finally, now I can just kind of sit back. He's doing the talking and I can let my mind wander and I'm fine to have my mind wander because I don't really care about what's going on up there. Is that how you view preaching? An opportunity, about 30 minutes, unless there's a Baptist in the pulpit, it was about 50. (laughs) About 30 minutes for you to just 
check out and do what you want. We might be tempted to do that if we think what's happening is not, is not worth our time or if we don't think anything is happening at all. The Bible says something's happening when preaching takes place. Namely, God saves sinners. So ask yourself, do you care about preaching? This verse tells us very plainly that preaching matters because if you find that you could take or leave preaching... I say this very soberly. I'm not being flippant at all. This is just something you need to consider. If you find that you could take or leave preaching, it could be an indication that you are, belong to that group that's perishing. It, it could be that you are ending or headed for, 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 for destruction. Because Paul says the people that don't care about preaching are those who are perishing. Is that you? You need to ask yourself... So why should I care about preaching? I should care because I care about my soul, because I care about eternity, because, because I don't want to go to hell. I should care about preaching for that reason, at least. It's a wake-up call for all of us. But now the question becomes, how can I care about preaching? Why should I care? Okay, I think we've, we've established why you should care. But how can I care? How can I how can I have a better estimation of, of what goes on in the pulpit? What do I need to know and believe and embrace about preaching? And I think as you look at the, this, this passage, three things come out that, that might challenge or change, perhaps shore up your view of preaching. And so that's what I want to explore with you. These are, these are things that help us to see why preaching matters, why it should matter to you. And so I want you to, to leave tonight not saying, wow, that was an amazing sermon. I want you to leave tonight saying, wow, thank God for preaching. That's what I want. So, so why should we care? And how can we care? The first thing. The first thing is that we need to see that preaching is the power of God. We need to understand that preaching is the power of God. If we're the people of God, we, we should care how God displays his power. And Paul says one of the ways he does that is through preaching. So that's why you should care about it. Paul says that straight out the gate in verse 18, but it's a theme that recurs throughout the text. Preaching is where God does his mighty and amazing work of salvation. Now, that's a tough sell for people, and therefore the, the wisdom of man rejects this. And yet, since the beginning of the world, God has been showing just what immense power is packed into his word. Think about the, cre the creation God says, he speaks, let there be light, and there is light. And in the same way, what's taking place in preaching is God saying, through the instrument of a preacher, a mere man, but God by his spirit is saying, let there be life, and there's life. People come into church all the time, all over the world, every Lord's Day, dead people walk into church and they walk out alive. That's the power of God. That's the power of God's word. But the world doesn't get that. The world in Paul's day didn't. That's why he says Jews demand signs. They wanted supernatural wonders. They wanted miracles. Like, we're the people of, you know, the Red Sea. That's what we're used to. Big stuff like that. You know, manna from heaven. And you're saying that the guy just talking is, is power? No, no, no. We need a sign. We need something big. And he talks about Greeks. They believe philosophical discourse and discovery are the keys to unlocking the divine, or at least access to the, to the divine. Those are the debaters of this age. Who's the, 
scribe, where's the debater of this age, is what Paul's talking about. These people who think that in their learnedness they can somehow get to God. And the world isn't much different today. Um, you, know, you think about it, power now is through prestige, it's through popularity, it's through money, it's through fame, it's through influence. We have influencers now on social media. These are things that make sense to the world in, uh, when you talk about power. That makes sense to me. I get it. I see how this person with a lot of money or, or with a lot of friends is powerful. That's success to the world. That means that something's working. And sadly, the worldly way of thinking has infiltrated many churches as we ha- see that many churches have a low view of preaching. Gospel-centered sermons give way to gimmick-centered services. The lights go down. The screen comes up has some sleek graphics, uh, and it all begins to look something similar to a TED Talk that you might have watched on YouTube. It's, it's entertaining. It's engaging. But is it based on God's word? Is it founded in God's word? Is it about expositing God's word? Uh, sometimes there isn't even an attempt to give a, a, a TED Talk sermon. Sometimes it's, let's throw up a video and let's watch. Let's watch a movie instead or a clip from a show. Uh, these things are often attempts to grow the church, of course, but the scriptural data shows that church growth never comes through gimmicks, but through the word of God. It's astounding. As you read the book of Acts, every time it talks about the numeric growth of the church, it ties it in to something that's taking place with God's word over and over again. When we're given these, these um, kind of, when, we're, when Acts gives us um, a, a little window into a numeric explosion in the church, it says the word increased. It says the word multiplied. The, the word went forth. So what are we learning in Acts? We're learning that God grows his church. We don't. God does. It's his power, not ours. The, and the way we get behind God's mission, the way we, we, we uh, support God's mission for church growth is by, begin, is by getting behind God's word and saying we want God's word to be first and foremost. Michael Horton assesses the situation by writing this. He says, surrounded by gimmicks and slick marketing, we assume that evangelism, church growth, and worship are subject to the same rules of persuasion as anything else. If we believe that salvation is essentially in our hands, it follows that it is up to us to determine the most effective strategy for reaching the lost. How did he begin that sentence? If we believe that salvation is in our hands. Well, salvation thank God, is not in our hands. If the church truly believes that, if the church recognizes that salvation belongs to Christ, then it ought to proclaim Christ, promote Christ, preach Christ, and Christ crucified. I wonder if you notice that Paul uses the phrase, the power of God, twice in these verses. Verse 18 is in reference to preaching. But then look at verse 24, which is the second time he uses the phrase, And he says, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. So he uses the same phrase, power of God, twice. Once in reference to preaching, once in reference to Christ. So which is it? Is preaching God's power or is the Son of God God's power? And the answer is yes. Paul isn't actually saying anything fundamentally different in verse 18 or in verse 24. Christ is the power of God, and we get Christ through preaching. That's how he's unleashed on a needy world. 
How did Christ prove himself to be God's power? How is it that Christ is the power of God, the wisdom of God? What did he do? What did he accomplish? What was his great feat? What, what mighty act did he do? What debate did he win? What business savvy decision did he make that skyrocketed him to the top influencers of his day? No, 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 no. Right. He hung naked on a cross. He died a pathetic death. He died. There's anything powerful about that? There's anything wise about that? There's anything attractive about that? It's all weakness, weakness, weakness. But God's power is upside down and inside out of our conception of power. And that's precisely why something as simple, as nondescript, as plain, as ordinary, as talking, as preaching, is the instrument of God's power today because that method of preaching matches the message of preaching, right? The message of the cross. The gospel of God is all about power through weakness. So how could we possibly faithfully convey that message of, 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 of a savior who dies in, in weakness with lights and pyrotechnics and smoke machines? It doesn't match. No, but... Preaching, true preaching, is a method that matches the message. They're equally weak, and they're scorned by those of the world. Preaching which is authentically Christian, which is truly powerful, will look like the Savior it proclaims. It will look weak, but that does not mean it is weak. True preaching... Authentic Christian preaching will be cross-shaped. It will be cruciform. That's what cruciform means. Formed like the cross. And when it is, we must have faith that this is God's way of displaying his power of saving sinners. So care about preaching today because it is God's power on display in the world. That's why you should care about preaching. That's how you can care about it. It's by recognizing this is God's power. And I'm, I belong to God's people. And I, I should love how he displays his power. Well, he does it through preaching. Here's another way you can care about preaching. Recognize that it's also the plan of God. It's not just the power of God. It's the plan of God. I think that will help you in your estimation of preaching. Uh, look at verse 19. Paul quotes from Isaiah. The prophet uh, Isaiah 29:14. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The context in Isaiah 29 is a pronouncement about a siege of the siege of Jerusalem and the inability of the uh, so-called uh, wise of the day, the prophets and the seers, to discern what God was possibly thinking. What is he really doing as he would allow his people to come under siege? The prophets and seers would be of no help. Why is that? Well, the verse immediately preceding what Paul quotes here is a verse I think you'll recognize. It goes like this. This is why God does this. Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their heart is far from me. The, this is what God's saying. He's promising to do something shocking, uh, something wonderful in the midst of his people that even the wisest, the most discerning won't be able to understand or discern. And why? Because they don't believe in him. They don't actually care about him. They don't love him. Their hearts are far from him. They don't have a heart for God. And now Paul quotes 
uh, from there to tell us that the shocking thing, the wonderful thing, uh, yet the confounding thing that he said he would do, he has done in the cross of Christ. And it's not going to make sense to people who just pay lip service to God but don't have a heart for him. It won't make sense. It will seem foolish. God prophesied it the whole way back in Isaiah 29. This is God's plan. When Paul says it is written, he's saying that what happened at the cross and what happens every Sunday in pulpits, it's, it's, not, it's not plan B. This is what God has been planning from all along, to, to turn upside down worldly wisdom through the weakness of the cross. Look at verse 21 and how that begins. It says there that uh, it was in the wisdom of God, that the, the will and determination of God, that the world would not know God through wisdom. That's not how you get to God. It's not a, it's not a formula. It's not arithmetic. It's not strategizing. Uh, it's not as though the more wise you are, the closer you get to God. God knew this. He knew man's pride would always get in the way. And that's why preaching Christ has always been his plan. He prophesied it the whole way back in Isaiah 29. Paul is just saying, what, what you're getting right now, what you're getting right now, this is, this is God's plan. It was always to upturn the wisdom of the world. So fall in love with preaching. Because every week you get to see the outworking of God's plan from all eternity to shame the wise of this world and to exalt those who come before him in true humility. That prophecy in Isaiah 29, fulfilled in the cross, still being outworked now in preaching, it's happening right before your eyes. God's promises, his plan being fulfilled. That's an amazing thing. So you should care about preaching because it's God's power and it's God's plan. And as Christians, we should care about God's plan. We want our lives to align with God's will and God's ways and God's purposes. And now we see Preaching is God's purpose, so we should care about it. One last thing. Why should we care about preaching? We should care about preaching not just because it's the power of God or the plan of God, but because it is the pleasure of God. God loves preaching. He loves it. Verse 21 tells us as much. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, or that could be literally, or I mean, um, legitimately translated, through the folly of preaching. So not even the message, but just the act itself, just me being up here. It pleased God, through the folly of preaching, to save those who believe. Preaching pleases God. Using simple preaching as a means of salvation, brings God pleasure. God has a smile on his face when his servants stand in his pulpit and proclaim his son. That brings pleasure to God. That word, it pleased God, it is the exact same word that we find in Matthew chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. It's one verse, verse 16. You know it. It's at Jesus' baptism. What does God say? This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. The exact same word. God is well pleased with his son, and he's well pleased with preaching. How could that be? You know, I was thinking that. How, how is it that God is as pleased with preaching as he's pleased with his son? How is that possible? 
Because real preaching is all about his son. Real preaching gets his son out there. Into the world. Real preaching gets his son into the hearts of sinners. And that's why he can say, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. And that's why he can say, this is preaching with which I am pleased. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about saving sinners by Jesus. God loves preaching and we must love it too. As God's children, we need to love what God loves. As Christians, our affections should align with God's uh, uh, affections. That means there's no excuse. There's no excuse for a low view of preaching. I have a... um, I've, I've had friends who, you know, belong to multi-staff churches and um, like multi-pastor churches who will just simply not go to church if their preacher isn't up that Sunday. That's a low view of preaching, right? I mean, what they're saying is, I don't like that preacher as much. He's boring. He doesn't excite me. Well, maybe he is boring. Maybe he doesn't excite you. But you see, it's not a low view of that preacher. It's a low view of preaching, Of what's taking place because God works powerfully through weak servants. Even the preachers we don't like. We need to have a high view of preaching because God loves it. It pleases him. It should please us too. This is what the Westminster Assembly's Directory for the Public Worship of God, written in 1645. I know you all know it. I'm going to read it anyway. I know you have it memorized. 1645, this statement on preaching. Preaching of the word, being the power of God unto salvation... Listen to this. And one of the greatest and most excellent works belonging to the ministry of the gospel. And it goes on. I want to read it one more time, though. This is what they say about preaching. It is one of the greatest and most excellent works belonging to the ministry of the gospel. What a grand assessment of preaching. And I wonder if you and I share that. If it pleases God to save people through preaching, if that's his pleasure, then we must give preaching primacy of place in Our worship services, we don't sacrifice preaching on the altar of seeker sensitivity, right? We're not going to cut sermons back. We're not going to dumb them down. We're not going to replace them because we think it's going to grow the church. It's not what grows the church. Also, it would displease God. We want to make it the central aspect of who we are as a church. I love seeing you guys wearing the new shirts that we had made with our uh, motto, that we take from Colossians 1, him we proclaim. That's what we're about. That's what every Christian needs to be about. Christ and getting his name out there, preaching. That's who we are. That's what we do. Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know Martin Lloyd-Jones, the the great uh, Welsh preacher, and he preached for many decades at Westminster Chapel in London, one of the most famous uh, preachers of the last century, before he got to Westminster Chapel, he took a small church in Wales, his native Wales. And uh, it was a dying church. Uh, The church could seat about 400. But, um, (laughs) I'm sorry, I had a typo in my notes that said the church could eat 400. (laughs) Um, They could seat 400. But only about 70 came on a Sunday. And Nothing was really well attended, except for one event, which was they had a Saturday night drama ministry, they called it, something to that effect, the Drama Society. Uh, People within the church would show off their thespian skills, or they were hoping they were thespian skills, uh, by putting on little plays for the community on Saturday night uh, to get people into the church, and those would be well attended. And so every Saturday, the pulpit 
would be uh, moved off to the side of the platform, and they would put up these props and set up a stage and, and have these, um, these performances every single week. Move the pulpit, put up the props. Move the pulpit, put up the props. And the church still isn't growing. People come Saturday, but nobody's coming Sunday. Move the pulpit, put up the props. Well, the first thing Lloyd-Jones does when he gets to the church, he bolts the pulpit to the platform. And he said, this is what we're going to do at this church. This is what we're going to focus on. Four things. Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship, Monday night prayer meeting, and our midweek service on Wednesday. Those four things. And the people in the church said, well, what about the drama society? And what about the stage and all the props we had? And his reply, you can use them to heat the church. <laughs> Lloyd-Jones had a high view of preaching. And he had a high view of preaching because he understood the message of 1 Corinthians one twenty-five: The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Friends, it might seem like a foolish thing to grow a Christian, much less grow a church through mere preaching. But I just want you, want you to know, God's, God's good with preaching. He's, he's fine with that. So you should be fine with it too. God is pleased with preaching. So we should be pleased with it too. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you love to communicate to your people. And that you speak to us. You truly do. You speak to us the word of the cross through preaching. And you you show us Christ. And you give us Christ. And we hear your voice. How could we ever give that up? And yet we know we're prone to think that uh, we're, we're wiser than you. And we have better ways in which we can grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Better ways in which we can bring people into the church and, and to grow the church. Forgive us for that folly. Lord, indeed remove worldly wisdom from us and let us embrace the foolishness of God, the foolishness of the cross. Let us glory in the cross of Christ that he would receive indeed all our focus as a church, all our energies as a church. Speak his truth, his goodness, his gospel into our hearts every week. We pray this for his sake. Amen.